0: Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit okcfirst.com. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 29 through 37. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amen. You may be seated. Thank you very much. I want to, uh, if you haven't already noticed, I want to draw your attention to the fact that we do have a spaceship in attendance this morning. We, uh, folks, listen to us on, on podcasts, and, and those who are listening on podcasts, I feel for you because you cannot see the wonder that is the space shuttle here behind me, which is perfect for our sermon series on, uh, uh, during Epiphany that's entitled Imagine. And remember, the kind of imagination that we're talking about is not the kind of imagination that uh, speaks of the capacity to conjure something out of nothing. We're talking about something way more um, needed than that. We're talking about the kind of imagination that actually takes what is, sees it with fresh eyes, sees it with, with God's eyes, and takes what is and is able to reorganize it, reimagine it, so that it plays a larger, more beautiful purpose. Uh, Kent Hathaway, who is ill and can't be here today, Kent Hathaway is the architect, um, but there are a lot of different kids who helped. This was an uh, uh, elementary school in Mustang, In fact, I think Avery Murray actually had a a role in constructing part of our space shuttle here. I've left, I wanted them to leave some of the pieces over here because at some point I'd like for you to go over and see that we're actually talking about milk cartons. This entire thing is made out of 40 some odd thousand milk cartons. In other words, 2,900 gallons of milk. (laughs) Uh, Doug Sanders said to me, I'm so lactose intolerant that I'm getting a stomach ache just looking at all of that. That's a lot of milk, and, and really, really, it's, it's milk cartons. Come take a look and see for yourself. It's, it's milk cartons, and it's the perfect representation of what I'm trying to say throughout this entire sermon series, that there is available to us the, the imagination of God, the creativity of God, that when we plug into it, we can actually partner with God to reimagine all of life and all of creation, because I'm telling you, Christianity And it's not just here and it's not just now, but Christianity has throughout all time suffered from dreams that were too small. Dreams that were too small. Take a look in your worship folder. The other passage I could have preached from today is from the book of Isaiah, and it is another one of the servant songs. If you weren't here last week, we talked a little bit about the servant songs in Isaiah. And there has been some discussion, some question just about whom are these songs written? I mean, who are, are these songs speaking of? These, this servant, this mysterious servant, who are we talking about? Well, and I said last week that I think the answers are multiple, and all of them are true. Are we talking about a singular leader way back when within Israel who is going to lead Israel back to Israel's rightful place? Perhaps. Are these songs about the entire nation of Israel? The entire nation of Israel, who at some point will be used by God to bring all of creation back. Perhaps. Are these songs about Jesus? Are these songs about Jesus, who thousands of years later would come along and be the perfect embodiment, not just of God, but also the embodiment of what God dreams for us to be? Are we talking about Jesus when we read and sing these servant songs? And the answer is all of the above. All of the above. Said this last week as well. Need you to hear it because I need it to be in the backdrop as you hear everything else I'm going to say today. The people of God, meaning Israel, finally become the person of God, meaning Christ, who makes himself available to us in the hopes that we again can be the people of God, now known as the body of Christ. The people becomes a person so that we can become the people again. Make sense? We're doing okay? But now what? Okay, sounds good. We'll sign up. I'll wear the T-shirt. I'm supposed to be a part of the people of God, but for what purpose? In your worship folder, in the bottom left-hand corner, there is a passage of Scripture out of Isaiah 49, one of these servant songs. And I just want you to look and see that a long time ago, already, someone was saying to the people of God, your dreams are too small, your expectations of God are too small, they're limited. What God wants is something more than what you thought. What God wants is something bigger, larger, more grand, more powerful than you imagined. In fact, look at these verses. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. As big a deal as that would be, to restore Israel, God actually has a larger dream for this suffering servant. I will give you, servant, as a light to the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. You have heard me say this a lot. If you are new, welcome, first of all. But hear me say this again. I think one of the greatest um, tragedies of faith is a faith that understands itself to simply be about the hereafter and not the here. When Christians believe that faith is just about the hereafter, then they sort of give up on the here and the now. God's dreams are larger than the hereafter. God's dreams are about the here, and God's dreams are large enough that you and I can find places to jump in and participate and do with our collected life together what we see Jesus doing. Now, Because this dream was so small, at some point, God said, we must reenter the story. We must re-enter in a way that gives people a better understanding of what all is going on here. We need a creative, imaginative way of being alive. Now, I'll tell you something. Very few people were alive in a more creative or imaginative way than Gene McMenemy. (laughs) We buried Gene McMenemy this past Friday. But as I thought about a creative, imaginative life... This was somebody I thought about a lot. If you are relatively new to our church, you may not know Jean. Um, Jean has, for several years, battled a disease that kept her away from this place. But to know Jean is to never forget Jean or her white gloves that she wore all the time. Jean was an artist from the word go. Enjoyed drama, was a published writer, was a published poet. She enjoyed acting around town in the different, the Jewel Box Theater and Lyric Theater, all those kinds of things. She enjoyed it. In fact, sometimes she enjoyed wearing her costumes to work. (laughs) She and Stuart opened an an architectural firm, and at times Jean would show up as the Red Queen from Alice in Wonderland, just because, right? Jean, Jean, some of the things I did not know about Jean until I had a chance to talk with the family and, and learned even more about this creative, imaginative life in this person Jean, right out of college, worked for the American Space Program and had high security clearance and worked on the Gemini and Mercury projects. I had no idea. I had no idea that she was a marksman with a rifle. In fact, won competitions as a teenager because she was such a good shot. (laughs) Had no idea. In fact, when she and Stuart got married, they took their honeymoon on a cruise ship and she noticed on the other side, on the dock, and they were already out into the water, there was a little competition, friendly competition amongst a bunch of men. They were flinging these clay pigeons out into the water, and they had yet to hit one. And so Jean walks up, dressing all and says, well, let me give it a shot. And she hit three out of five. <laughs> Jean used to go down the street from her house and pick a bunch of blackberries. Then she'd come home and put on a costume of a, of a homeless poor lady. Then she would take these berries all the way over to the Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club, to the kitchen door, bang on the door, and beg them to buy her berries. They had great compassion and paid top dollar for those berries. (laughs) Jean, if she was anything, she was creative and imaginative. And one of the best representations I can think of, of a person who lived out this sense of wonder, adventure, imagination, creativity, and I think it had a lot to do with her understanding of herself in God's sight as a follower and participant in the kingdom. Look at this. The word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory is of a father's only son, Full of grace and truth, this is one of the most important verses, not just in the first chapter of John, but in the entire scripture. This is a very important verse. In fact, in so many different ways, this verse gives us reason to be here. Think about this. This verse suggests that God became flesh and lived our life with us. I just want you to think about that. That is sort of a unique statement and a unique posture where all of the religions of the world and for all time are concerned. Most of the time, those other gods and deities lived above the people, not at all a part of regular life unless they were coming in to sort of meddle or make a mess of things. But this God came to be not just among us, but one of us. In the hopes that in and through his flesh, and in and through us, all of creation might be redeemed. But here's why we need to preach this sermon during Epiphany. Again, I am very concerned that the Christian imagination is not broad enough. I am concerned that the Christian imagination, obviously I'm not talking about us, I'm talking about other churches, right? But I'm concerned that Christian imagination may go something like this. Well, let's get to church, let's make sure that we do what we're supposed to do to stay in God's good graces, largely for the hereafter, but maybe also because we kind of think somewhere in our heads, if we'll do the things we're supposed to do, then God will bless us, or at least not hate us or curse us. Now, you don't have to say amen, and I certainly don't want you to point at your neighbor, (laughs) but maybe that does function at some level in a lot of our minds and hearts and imaginations as believers, And again, I want us to hear this. No, what God has in mind as evidence by going to the full effort of embodying this message in Christ, what God has in mind is the reclamation of your life and the reclamation of your household, of your neighborhood, your mailing address, that neighborhood, the reclamation of your neighborhood, the reclamation of your city and your state, your country, and your world. God has in mind that all can be redeemed, but do you believe that? There are two of us in the room that believe that. (laughs) (laughs) Do we Christians believe that, or have we for so long talked about faith in individualistic sorts of ways that at the end of the day, we believe that faith has something to do with this uh, list of do's and don'ts That I'm supposed to somehow follow or not follow, whichever the case may be. And so really, at the end of the day, my imagination goes no farther than the parameters of my life. But your life is essential and your life is part of the process whereby, or at least it's supposed to be, a part of the process whereby all of creation can be redeemed and brought back to God. Our faith is so much larger than whether or not you make it to heaven. And when we don't tell the larger story, hear this, when we don't tell the larger story, when we don't paint the larger picture, when we don't build the large enough art project, we lose our kids to boredom. When we don't tell the larger story, then we leave them with the impression that Christianity is primarily about behavior modification and good behavior and the avoidance of bad behavior. We do tell our kids kids quite a bit, don't have sex and don't use foul language. And by the way, don't have sex and don't use foul language. But okay, it was as easy as that. It was as simple as that. They just said, okay, we're fixed. Let's all stand. But we must say to them, we must say to them, we must say to one another, our good behavior is part of a larger story, a larger process, a larger art project. Right? One of my favorite authors said it like this, you're a tree in a story about a forest. Get that? But today for our purposes we're gonna say, You're a milk carton in a story about a space shuttle. (laughs) Does that make some sense? So yes, what you do and how you live, the decisions that you make and the things that you avoid, they are important, but they are important not because they change God's mind. They're important somehow. They're important because somehow God is able to use our obedience and our faithfulness and our good behavior to redeem all of creation. That's the reason we need to be good. Let's see. The next day, Jesus coming toward him declared. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, if you don't understand that we're talking about this larger story, right, you might hear this, um, this phrase, Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And you might think, oh, okay, okay, God kills lambs so that God is not angry about sins. But if that was the case, if we were talking about some sort of a substitutionary sacrifice, we would have used a different animal other than a lamb. Lambs weren't used in the temple to sacrifice and to somehow appease God where sins were concerned. In fact, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, it doesn't say the sins of the world because then that would be about all the different things you and I have done this week. (laughs) and last week, in our entire lives, and all people of all time. But it's singular here. It's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's so much going on in this language, and I just want to highlight a couple of things because I think it's hugely important. The Lamb of God is not some sort of sacrificial lamb meant to appease God. The Lamb of God here is supposed to draw our attention back to the Exodus, and this particular plague that you see played out right here in front of you. The Passover lamb. When the people of God used the Passover lamb's blood, when they painted it over the doorposts of their, of their homes, that was their means of rescue from this competing power and authority. The lamb did not appease God for sins. The lamb and the lamb's blood was the means of rescue. The means of rescue where this competing authority is concerned. This is really, really important. Otherwise, you will not get Jesus. If you, sitting here today, now I I don't want to offend, so I apologize ahead of time if I do, but if sitting here today, you walked in with this belief that God had to kill Jesus to make God feel better about us, you have completely missed the life and message and ministry of Jesus. No, no, no. No, no, no. Jesus is more like this particular lamb. And Jesus, by his blood, is able is able, to rescue us from the next Pharaoh. The next Pharaoh is called sin and death. See, Pharaoh kept this distance between God and God's people. Pharaoh propped himself up as an alternative king, an alternative deity. Pharaoh saw himself as a competitor to God where authority was concerned. And so God wrestled Pharaoh to the ground, wrestled his competitor to the ground, this last plague being the most mm, powerful demonstration of God's might and power. But this lamb, this lamb, this spotless lamb that was used, marked the people of God, and in marking the people of God as they were marked, They were able to be rescued, God was able to rescue them from Pharaoh's hand in the same sort of way. God, through Christ, is able to rescue God's people and all people from the next Pharaoh that we're gonna call sin and death. Sin and death stand as a barrier between God and God's people. Somehow we have to get through that barrier or around that barrier or over that barrier or underneath it. So God chooses this particular means. In other words, God's doing it again. God's rescuing God's people from the competitor kings and kingdoms and he does it now through Jesus. That's what we mean when we say the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It doesn't change God's mind about us. Christ's death, Christ's blood, it demonstrates God's heart for us. We're doing okay so far? And so God spends God's life trying to redeem people and all of creation back to himself. Now, last week, we talked a little bit about the the baptism of Christ, but it was more like what a journalist would say. It was sort of the, here's what happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. This week... The lectionary asks us to talk about it again, but not like journalists, this time more as commentators. If last week's uh, sermon was about what happened, this week's sermon is about why it matters. And so you hear from the voice of John. John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. In other words, here's what John is saying. I can testify, I can witness to this fact that this Jesus is in fact the son of God and the reclamation effort has officially begun. I've seen it with my own eyes. Now, don't feel too badly. If sitting where you are, in your heart of hearts, you don't yet get it either. Don't feel too badly if the portrait of faith is too small. John writes the book of John in order to help people to see the large nature of the mission of Christ and then the large nature of the mission of the body of Christ. But see this while painting the larger picture of what it is that God's up to in and through Christ, it's just as important to John for you and I to see that we are invited into that same process into that same effort into that same mission I myself verse 33 I myself did not know him but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and I have seen and have testified that this is the son of God And now comes the invitation. Now be watching now. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he said it again. Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and then they followed Jesus. So Jesus' first disciples, at least according to the book of John, started off as disciples of John the Baptist. But John the Baptist pointed at Jesus, saying, no, 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 this is the issue at hand. This is the one we've been waiting for. There is no longer any need to follow me. I was a forerunner. I was the prophet. I was the voice in the wilderness. But this is the one. You need to follow this one. Here's a relatively personal question. Is it possible that we have asked the question, (laughs) what would Jesus do too often? Maybe the question we should ask is what would John the Baptist do? In other words, does your life, does my life do what John the Baptist does here? Have you not been so concerned with the question and the answer, what would Jesus do, that we have again made the Christian life too small? It's about my behavior. It's about behavior modification. Am I avoiding the things that Jesus avoids? Am I doing the things that I see Jesus doing? Maybe that's the wrong question. Maybe a better question for us and where this larger effort in the kingdom is concerned, maybe the better question is what would John the Baptist do because here's what John the Baptist does as portrayed in so many classic pieces of art throughout time. Here's what John the Baptist does. John the Baptist points at Jesus. So while you have been perhaps, perhaps overly concerned with behavior modification because you have not understood the role that your behavior plays in the larger picture, have you missed opportunities to do what John the Baptist does? Because what John the Baptist does to this day is point, point. How does your life, how does my life, how does our gathered up life together point? Maybe, maybe here's a better question. At what or at whom does your life point? Does my life point? Does our gathered up life together, at what or at whom does our life point? Because there's plenty of options. Right? Right? Hopefully, we're pointing at Jesus, but we could be pointing at profit margin. We could be pointing at different um, manifestations of power and strength, and we can even call those things Christian. But sometimes, Christ and profit margin aren't the same thing. And sometimes, expressions of power and Christ aren't the same thing. Does your life, does my life, do our lives, when taken together, do we point at Jesus, distinguishing this Jesus from all other competing powers and entities. Here's what happens. When we do, people finally look away from us and they look at Jesus. I'm concerned that perhaps we have asked the what would Jesus do question so often as to leave people with the impression and maybe us, ourselves as believers, maybe it leaves us with the impression that we're sort of the center of that universe and we're not. Again, hear me behave (laughs) do good avoid bad but just recognize that as you do those things you're part of a larger effort to point at the now present God who is presently trying to redeem and bring back all of creation does your life point to a very present Jesus Here's another question, and maybe more comfortable, maybe more fun. Who's pointing you to Jesus? Who has pointed you to Jesus? I've, I've got names, and some of you are in the room. <laughs> names of people who have bounced into my life, who bounced off of my life, and who have, by virtue of living their lives the way they live their lives, they have pointed me and directed me not to themselves but to Jesus. Let's be thankful. Just right here in this moment, let's be thankful for the people who are pointing away from themselves and pointing us to Jesus right now. Because maybe, like me, you're searching. Oh, Jesus notices Jesus notices the, the searching heart, the searching mind, the searching imagination of Andrew. Listen to this. So Jesus turns and he sees them following. He said to them, and I want to say to you, and the gospel says to all of us, okay, you are somewhere in the vicinity of this Jesus, but what are you looking for? I mean, let's, let's think about that for a minute. Where your faith is concerned... Imagine now that Jesus turns around and is looking not at Andrew, but looking at you. Imagine Jesus sees you somewhere within earshot, maybe even within arm's reach. Imagine Jesus turns around and asks you this very important, very personal, perhaps very dangerous question. Why are you following? What are you looking for? I'm looking for multiplied bread and fish. (laughs) I'm looking for dinner. I'm looking to be on the winning side. I'm looking to be on the revolutionary side. I'm looking for notoriety. I'm looking for security. Good grief. Imagine if Andrew had said to him, I'm looking for security, Jesus. Jesus would have snickered at him. Said, Following me is perhaps not the greatest means of security formation. <laughs> what are you looking for? And I love Andrew's response. Rabbi, teacher. Where are you staying? Now, before we move on to my next favorite line, (laughs) let's examine this word translated as staying. Here's, Here's what Andrew meant. It's not so much where do you have a room tonight, because the word here translated as staying, where are you staying, is the same word used later in the gospel to talk about the ways in which Christ abides or remains in God and God in him. It's the same word translated as abide in chapter 15 of the Gospel of John when Jesus says something like this, if you stay with me, remain with me, abide in me, then I will stay with you, remain with you, abide in you. So in other words, Andrew's asking this question and it means a whole lot more than where have you rented a room tonight? It's sort of a who are you really question. Who are you with? What are you about? So, what are you looking for? Ask Jesus. What are you looking for? As you follow, Christian, what are you in this for? What are you looking for? What am I looking for? As we are Christian, what are we looking for? What are we in it for? Andrew's question is, I think, about the healthiest question he could have asked. Andrew's question in response to the question was, where are you? What are you about? And essentially, because you can almost hear it, I want to go wherever you are. I want to be about whatever you're about. So where are you remaining and abiding and staying? Because I want to go wherever you are. And here's Jesus' response. Jesus said, well, come and see. (laughs) Come and see. Let's do this. Let's do imagine that you're the one following Jesus. Perhaps not so closely enough yet. Perhaps not so closely that that you're getting the dust of his sandals on your robe, skirt, I'm not sure. Whatever, right? Perhaps not quite that closely yet. But imagine now in that moment that Christ turns to you and says, why are you following Imagine then, you have to at this point sort of take inventory. Why am I? Why do I do this? Why am I showing up as I show up? Why do I participate as I participate? Why am I doing this? We're Wesleyans. We believe in this concept called provenient grace. It is our belief that you have been created with an appetite for Jesus. This this gap within you that only God can fulfill. This gap that perhaps you will try to fulfill by every other means. But we believe that you're created with this deep-seated, perhaps unrecognized for most of our lives, appetite for God and companionship with God. And maybe it's at the moment... When Jesus turns and looks at you and says, what are you looking for? Maybe that's when you're most aware that sure enough, you have something of an appetite. There's at least a holy curiosity there. So perhaps you have it within you already to respond to Christ's question with the question, where where are you gonna be so that I can be with you? The best news I can deliver for you today is that the next line is meant just as much for you as it was written for Andrew. This next line belongs no more to Andrew, the disciple, Andrew, than it does to you. This line is yours. Hear this. Jesus says to you, to me, to us, come and see. Come and see. And maybe he sort of did that thing where, well, I don't know, let's see, what, let's see what happens. Come and see. Can you hear in that simple statement, those three words, can you hear this invitation to adventure? Can you hear in that simple little three-word phrase there, the invitation to a life of divine imagination and creativity. Jesus is saying, I'm not gonna give you the answer, answer right here because it is more about the journey and the walking with me than it is about the destination. Perhaps, again, we've made it too much about the destination when Christ is only wanting to say to us, come and see. Keep following. Come and see. Come and see. Come with me. Be part of the process and part of the reason." Come be part of the process and part of the reason that all of creation is brought back. Make sure that you aren't dreaming a dream so small that you don't need God to live out that version of Christianity. Because, frankly, if it's just about behavior modification, I'm not sure how many of us really need God. Just sort of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, bootstraps and do better. But if it's about something larger than that, if neighborhoods and cities... And states and countries are to be reorganized and brought back. You know what? We're going to have to not only link arms with one another, but we need God. And that God says to us, come on. Let's do this. Let's invoke some imagination. Now, you very well could be changed in the process. Everything about you could be changed in the process. So this Andrew brought Simon back to Jesus, who looked at him and said, you are Simon, Jesus said to Simon. You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Listen, the invitation seems simple enough. It's only three words, come and see. But hear this, if you say yes to that, everything about your entire life trajectory could change maybe even your name. I don't know about you, but I still feel it, though. <laughs> Believing as I do, and claiming as I have this week that the come and see is meant for me, even though I know it could mean everything could change, I still want it. It is Martin Luther King Day tomorrow, and many of us are gonna go... Downtown to be a part of a of a a cookout. We used to march. We think this is a better a better way for us to commemorate the civil rights movement. Now, okay, John's about to get political on us. I don't intend to, but if I do, just sort of seatbelt in. You'll be all right. Civil rights movement's important in our history. Can I get an amen there? Perhaps it's one of the more recent expressions of the dreams, the breadth of the dream of God. I would have gotten a better amen at some other sanctuaries in the city. But perhaps, if you think about it, perhaps the civil rights movement, it, it wasn't all done in ways that we think are necessarily representative of this Jesus, but the civil rights movement a movement that brought dignity to so many people who before did not have it. That's a God thing. And I think, and I do this every year about this time, I I go looking for things that Martin Luther King said to see whether or not he got it theologically. And let me tell you something, way more than I do. Even where this notion of, divine creativity and imagination is concerned. A few quotes. When our days become dreary with low hovering clouds of despair, and when our nights become darker than a thousand midnights, let us remember that there is a creative force in this universe working to pull down the gigantic mountains of evil, a power that is able to make a way out of no way and transform dark yesterdays into bright tomorrows. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Those are the words of someone who would have appreciated a space shuttle made out of milk cartons in the sanctuary. Here's another one. Succinctly put, he said, we must use our time creatively. He said this, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Every person must decide whether he or she will walk in the light of creative altruism or in the darkness of destructive selfishness. I think maybe it's time for the people of God to again get in touch with, access this divine creativity so that we can again take another huge step forward where the demeaned, and the devalued and the dehumanized are concerned. I, I hope you don't see this as a commercial. Because it's not. Tonight we're showing a movie. Back in the kids' worship area, we're showing a movie, and it's called Nefarious. And it has to do with human trafficking. Uh, human trafficking is a worldwide issue. The third largest industry in the world. Worldwide. And one of the main hubs for human trafficking is Oklahoma City. The worldwide human trafficking issue has a hub here in Churchville. How is that possible? It's another one of those things that make me wonder what we've been doing. What have we been, what have we been doing as we gather week in and week out? How is it possible that a state that has so many churches, have you ever tried to count the steeples in this city? And so many great people and Christians, how is it possible that we can have so many great people, so many Christians, so many churches, and still we can be a hub, a hub, one of the major hubs worldwide, one of the major hubs for human trafficking? How is that possible? Here's how it's possible. We've dreamed a dream that's too small. We've made faith about what I do with my life. When at the end of the day, what I do with my life is just a part of the process whereby God does something larger with all of life. It's time for another civil rights movement. The civil rights movements tend to wait until the people of God understand who they are And which king they follow. Check history. (laughs) Movements like these tend to wait until the people of God know who they are and are better in touch with the particular king that they follow. So we start this whole conversation tonight in earnest. We're gonna watch this hour and a half long documentary. The woman who heads up this entire effort for Oklahoma City is a member of the Lucy Vita Church. So we have some built in possibilities here and I don't have the vaguest idea how it's gonna end up, which is probably a good thing because my dream perhaps would be too small. But I wanna invite you into it. I wanna invite you to be a part And if not this effort, then at least be a part of some effort that demonstrates that you understand that your Christian life is not your own. That it's larger than you. Larger than your eternal destiny. As we go to prayer, there are perhaps two prayers that we should pray. One, one goes something like this. See yourself as that potential disciple following closely enough behind that you can hear as Jesus kind of looks around quickly and says so what are you looking for maybe your prayer should be your full-throated effort to kind of have that conversation what am i looking for the second prayer is very similar same conversation it's you saying yes to the come and see part <laughs> come and see it's you at this point saying Okay. Knowing it could mean changes. Why don't you stand with me? Brad and I have this neat thing going. Uh, I don't choose the song at the end of this sermon. Um, I probably should, but I don't because he always chooses better songs than I do. (laughs) So I just let him do it. So what what did you come up with? The The one who saves. Beautiful. And as Brandon sings, I want to invite you to find a place to pray. Now, you're welcome to pray right where you are. If you would like to remain standing and pray, you are certainly welcome to do so. You can kneel right where you are. There are actually no rules against you kneeling at your pew. Promise. We took all those out. You can come to the altar. If you come to one of these side padded altars, we'll assume that you're coming for a prayer for healing of some sort, and someone will meet you there and anoint you with oil and pray that prayer along with you. But all this other space here, even these spaces up next to the makings of the space shuttle, are available for all kinds of prayers. And today, I hope they have everything to do with understanding yourself as part of the means whereby all of creation can be won back, brought back, carried back to God. I pray that you'll be able to see how your individual life of faith is part of a larger and, frankly, a better story. So, Father, as we gather, would you give us the imagination to dream bigger and better dreams? Would you move your people to prayer? And then, having prayed, God, would you move your people to action? Would you move your people to followership? Maybe with a better, more clear understanding of the costs involved. All across the sanctuary, I want to invite you to find a place to pray as Brandon sings.
2: your voice as heaven and earth give praise fall to your knees at the feet of the son of the one true God turn from all ways lift your eyes kingdom of God
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about OKC First, please visit okcfirst.com. Like us on Facebook at Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene. Or follow us on Twitter at OKC First Church.